0: I I think a lot of times people get hung up on an obstacle and they sit and they stare at the obstacle or the problem. And it turns into a narrative about the problem. I struggle a lot of times when people ask me about the obstacles along the way because I've never spent much time staring at the obstacle because I am immediately looking for a way over it or around it and I move on.
1: Welcome to Trail Effect. I am your host, Josh Blum. Trail Effect is a show that dives into the stories behind trails, the communities that embrace trails, and the people who rely on trails as a way of life. The goal of this show is to turn the stories you will hear from our guests into useful knowledge that can be applied to your community while providing some entertaining and inspirational content. Guests on Trail Effect include trail builders, board members, community leaders, volunteers, and regular people who really enjoy trails. For episode 145, We are re-airing an episode that was originally recorded in October of 2020 with Todd Paquette. Why re-air a three-year-old show? Because the content is timeless. Also because it's the Margie Gessick Race Week, and for many, this is the culmination of a lot of training. Aside from the Margie Gessick and Todd's events is the 906 Adventure Team, which is youth development reimagined. Since the recording of this show, 906 Adventure Team has now expanded to 10 communities and three states. Cooley Creative is the title sponsor for this episode. They design and build custom websites as well as help companies with branding, photography, and e-commerce. Cooley Creative was started in Wisconsin, but is now based out of Bend, Oregon. Jared from Cooley Creative is a friend of mine. We've traveled together on multiple mountain bike trips, and sometimes he sends it. For more information about Cooley Creative, head on over to www.dojustsendit.com. Yes, that's right. www.dojustsendit will get you to the Cooley Creative website, so check it out. A huge thank you goes out to the multiple people who have placed orders for Kettle Mountain Apparel and Trail One Components. This support definitely does not go unnoticed. I hope you are all enjoying the products that have been ordered. When you use the links found under the affiliate section at the Trail Effect website, a portion of the proceeds will help fund the Trail Effect podcast. Bonus, use the code TRAILPOD when checking out for a 20% discount on all Kettle Mountain Apparel and Trail One Components. Now on to the Trail Effect with the re-air of Todd Paquette. here we are today with uh, Todd Paquette. He is the uh, Director of Adventure for 906 Adventure Team. Some people also
2: know him as the uh, Master of Pain and Czar of Suffering. He's been known for some of his awesome events that he hosts up there in the UP or Upper Peninsula of Michigan, for those that aren't familiar with what the UP stands for. So welcome, Todd. Hey, good morning. How you doing? Doing great. It's a Monday morning. We're going to kick this thing off right. right. Thanks.
0: Hey, thanks for having me on. Oh yeah yeah looking looking forward to it.
2: Thank you for coming on because this is a this is an interview that I've definitely wanted to get for quite a while and it's been a heavily requested interview by people down here that partake in your events
0: yeah and there's a lot of them down there.
2: We like to think as lacrosse as being somewhat similar to Marquette and topography at least
0: mm-hmm mm-hmm I've been down there my time has been limited down there but I can definitely I can see that I could see the resemblance with the bluffs and yep. stuff
2: for sure yeah.
1: So let's go into your backstory. So we can kind of set the stage
2: for where you are now. How did you get into what you're doing, you know, before you're in in the director of adventure position at 906 Adventure Team?
0: You know, that's an interesting question. And I'm going to answer the question this morning in a, in a little different way, because I've been asked this question, obviously, a lot. And I, let me frame what created this answer this morning as I was sitting down last night, actually going through my checklist for the big ride we're doing starting next, this coming weekend. And I looked at it and I, and I said, how does one come to a point in his or her life where they've decided to try to ride their bike 1200 miles? And so it kind of took me through this wormhole going backwards, which also helps me answer this question about the path, to director of of adventure. And, Really, I think, you know, when I've answered the question before, the story starts around 2009 or 2012. But, you know, last night, the, the realization I had thinking about this is every decision that I've made in my life has brought me to this position as director of adventure. And, you know, also, the, you know, the ride that we're going to be trying this coming weekend and that's significant, I think, to share with people because I think at times we get so lost in the current moment and what we're doing now or what we want now that we discount all of the things that we've had to do, decisions we've had to make that have brought us to where we are, whether that's a good spot or a bad spot in our life, right? You, you are there as a accumulation of events and decisions in your life. <laughs> so I'm yeah. sitting here today as director of adventure and if somebody says you know how the hell did you get there i i would say i can look back to uh, menards is big in wisconsin right home improvement yep. center save big money um and no no we're not sponsored by menards that was not a menard plug <laughs> but i can look back um as far back as my career there i was 21 years old i was on a fast track to get shipped down to chicago and start co-running stores. And I had this moment and and I still remember it like it was yesterday where I'm 21, everything's going great. I'm making really good money at 21, like kind of ridiculous money to be honest. And here's what the question was. The question was, is this what the rest of my life's going to be? Running a hardware store, you know, Uh, putting in 60 hours a week, you know, retail. Retail schedules, at least the one I was working at that time, they're very routine. Like every other week, I knew what my schedule was. And I think there's probably a sense of comfort in that that a lot of people sort of aspire to. You know, there's predictability, there's um, stability and income. Like in theory, at 21, I was well on my way to having some serious boxes checked. But I... You know, I just I couldn't I couldn't fathom actually locking myself into a track that early in my life, so I quit, and I actually went to work for Cisco Foods. So I went from being an office manager, destined to fast track to assistant store manager, and I became a part-time delivery truck driver, <laughs> just running around the Upper Peninsula, you know. And uh, it's been just decisions like that, Josh, um, through my life, where I haven't been afraid. To at a point, you know, succeed on a particular path, but then say, is this what life is going to be? And then completely leave that path and go try something new. So it's not like I'm gonna sit here and recount 20 years, but basically that that little thing with Menards from from 25 years ago when I left and went to work for Cisco, just all of these experiences I've had, whether it's been as a district sales manager eventually for Cisco that I worked up to. Or even a, a, a tanker truck driver for Halron Oil out of Green Bay, Wisconsin, which I was doing around 2000. You know, you familiar with, you drive truck or are you familiar with
2: truck driving? Familiar with it because my full-time career is with DOT. But oh, I is it really? Truck.
0: Yeah. Well, I, you can't see any of my logbooks. They're hidden. Well, I don't look at those. I'm just familiar
2: <laughs> with it from a uh, transportation perspective. I'm, I'm on the design yeah. construction maintenance side.
0: Oh, awesome. Um, I remember that job was really
2: interesting
0: working the for Halron, especially around 2000 because that was when Y2K was going on. Like when everybody thought the world was going to get crippled, you know, because there was some bug and the, the computers glitch. couldn't handle, yeah, the glitch. For two solid days, man, I was running high sulfur diesel all over the state of Wisconsin because people were stockpiling it because they were afraid that we were going to wake up you know the morning after new years and the world was going to be crippled it was ridiculous it was a crazy time but uh yeah when i look back to the, the terminals where you load your trucks all those tank trucks are loaded down in green bay and maybe there's other places now but at that time it was all the green bay terminals off of uh highway 43 <laughs> there's another moment where i'd be there loading my truck i'm with these guys who've been doing this for 40 years okay some of these guys are wearing respirators because they've done it so long and it's such a vile job that they can't breathe without a respirator, right? But I get to interact with these guys and hear their life stories and how they how they ended up there and what they're doing and why they're doing it. And then I'm thinking, damn, that could be me. <laughs> like Just
2: in 30 staring years. I'm here 20 years from now.
0: That could, I could be looking at me in 30 years. And uh, the funny little twist is that There was a, an episode in Marquette that actually prompted me to drive back to the warehouse and quit. And the, the, the episode was, I was over at the Presque Isle power plant here. I don't remember what year it was, maybe 2000, 2001. And I was offloading, I was preparing to offload some high sulfur diesel. And I had a malfunction on one of the Buckeyes on the emergency valve. So as I took the cover off the buckeye, so there's like five Buckeyes along the bottom of these tanks where you connect these huge hoses. And then you offload the fuel, each compartment. Well, there is a failure on the emergency valve. And when I took the cover off, it was actually under pressure from like a thousand gallons of high sulfur. And that thing luckily shot off past me, missed me, but it went off like a freaking shotgun. And I got hit in an instant by about two, 300 gallons of high sulfur diesel head to toe, just drenched in it. As it hit me, you know, it actually shot me back away from the truck, but I had, I don't know, just reaction, reflex. As I got hit away from the truck, I swung my hand and I was able to hit the other emergency valve, which, oh, wow. shut, which shut down the loss of fuel. <laughs> so I'm laying, I don't know, six, ten yards away from the truck, dripping high sulfur diesel, which is basically oil. Yeah. Proceeded to finish the job, offloaded the rest of it. It was just so brutal. I, I'm, I'm surprised I didn't pass out, actually, from being doused in that stuff. Got in the truck, drove back to Escanaba, parked the truck, walked in the office, and quit. <laughs> I said, this is enough. Worst job in the world.
2: I just want to point something out here, and some people people might find humor in this. <laughs> you heard it here first. Todd Paquette quit. <laughs> <laughs> unfortunately he could not just text somebody hashtag quitter
0: yeah no i walked in and i told the dispatcher right to his fucking face i quit
2: <laughs> so there are some things in life that probably are worth quitting
0: yeah no but hey you know what i wouldn't like i wouldn't take that experience back for anything oh for sure i mean There's there lot, were so lot of many learning. great so many great lessons and so many great people that you meet You know, I I mean, I just I think about like the spectrum of people that I've been able to interact with up to this point in my life professionally, whether it's been on at the terminals, you know, with a 40 year, 50 year veteran tank truck driver all the way up to um, regional vice president or regional president of Cisco Corporation, one of the largest food distributors in the world. It's interesting to have conversations with people on those opposite ends of the social spectrum. And just see what makes everybody tick. Yeah. And it's very different. <laughs> yeah. Those groups are very, very different.
2: Well, you definitely got some adversity out of that too. Yeah. Yeah.
0: It was a good experience. So that's a really long answer to the question about director of, of adventure and how I ended up here.
2: So you're the main role with the director of adventure obviously has to do with cycling. How'd you get into cycling?
0: Uh, it, it. I mean, the main thing was from a back injury. You know that's that's the the backstory on it. I had a back a back injury, which a half uh, or a month later I re-injured the back injury. It was a it was a ruptured disc. So I've had surgery now on the L five uh, disc three times. If we need to do it again, they said that it's probable we're going to have to cage it, you know, use it. Uh, but I needed so as I was coming out from that back surgery or the multiple back surgeries in uh, two thousand and nine, I needed something to helped me regain fitness kind of recondition my body weightlifting at that time was a no-no you know it wasn't part of the recovery plan so a buddy came over he had his bike he brought his kid's bike um that was about two sizes too small for me and we went for a ride <laughs> yeah and you're and tall. Like, yeah i was it it had to be a small at best it was a medium like hardtail you know Something, something real entry level, uh, and that's where it started. Uh, it started as a bike ride around the bike path here in Marquette.
2: Fast forward to your uh, nine oh six adventure team, and I've listened to some of the other stuff, and you know, kind of know a little bit of your backstory. But let's talk about how you how the creation of nine oh six adventure team began, and and the kind of the early story there, and and then we'll bring it forward.
0: I think the the best way I can answer this question about the adventure team is that. 906 Adventure Team spawned from a desire and a commitment that I had when I left the corporate world. So, when I left Cisco and came into the local community and worked for a local restaurant group, one of my goals or a box I wanted to check was to put more of my time into the local community, find something that I could participate in or create that would serve the community, most specifically the people of the community. So, you know, it was an easy jump for me looking at AT and, you know, actually truth be told, so we're, we're, we're seen as a cycling group, but the original uh, concept was around running and cycling. So modes of transportation were bicycle and by foot. You know, we've never really been able to find somebody who would come in and kind of take the reins to help anchor the run side? Because mm-hmm. I'm not I'm not a runner, uh, and I don't with with my involvement through the events and and everything we're doing with cycling events for youth and for adults, I don't have the time or the bandwidth anymore. Well, I didn't then either um, to dedicate to developing a you know a foot uh, side of 906. But that so that's what the original idea was. And you can kind of see in our events now, all of our events involve bikes and running to some, to some level. And again, um, I think that that's driven more, the high level purest form of this concept of 906 adventure team is to serve people. Yeah. That's, that is, that, that is what we are doing. That is our intent. And when we say, I know it sounds cliche, I'd actually like to redo the mission because, it seems like everybody's talking about, you know, helping people discover the best version of themselves now. Um, but that is our mission—to empower people to discover the best version of themselves through outdoor adventure. And you've done our events. Yeah. Uh, I think you've seen firsthand what a good old-fashioned, you know, beat-down style adventure can do to bring people together and put a mirror up in front of each person's face and help them see themselves and how they respond to adversity and challenge and, you know, where they're at. If can they, can they dig deep and finish what they've started? Or do they need to come back and try again?
2: Yeah. That's, so, that's the beauty of your events is that it brings so many different types of people from people that are so that are, that are, you got the high end race crowd, but you also have the people that just want to accomplish something. Yeah.
0: Yeah. And that's what I love about it you know everybody can be there to have the experience that they want to have it's it's available to them and we're not i and i think one of the reasons that seems to be accessible is we've gone out of our way to not prioritize or give preference you know to one group or the other from day 1 with polar roll you know i sound like a broken record but this this is how true we do stick to what the intent has been and what the story has been From Polar Roll forward, it's always been, listen, everybody's finish matters. You know, I stood at the finish line at Polar Roll, the first one we did, till 7.30 at night, waiting for Liz Finkelstein to show up. I can still remember like it was yesterday. Kip was behind her on the Rokon. It was getting dark. I mean, it's February, so actually it might have been dark. He's driving behind her with the Rokon because he was a sweep, making sure she got there okay. She, there was the finish line was down. Nobody was there. It was me and probably Chris Anderson were the only two people at the finish line waiting for. Her. And all I can remember seeing is her silhouette coming, running at us or riding at us, you know, in Kip's headlight. And, uh, it's, we've honored, we've honored that last racer every single year at every single event. We don't leave until the last person's in. That's been the mantra. And I think, yeah. that's part of, I think that's part of the success, because I think if you look at what we do, it's very clear and well-documented that we are serving people and all people.
2: Yeah. Now, specifically with your groups that go on weekly up in your area, let's talk about the youth side of things and how that is important and how that has been incorporated into 906 Adventure and your community. Yeah,
0: on the youth side... You know, this year was a little interesting. We still pulled it off. We ran a youth program here in Marquette, Delta County, and Gogebic County. So we're in three three communities. I guess it was pretty cool to see that. It, and some of this is luck. Our operational footprint, the way we the way we designed Adventure Bike Club to be laid out, actually fit into the COVID protocols that the state was mandating. So I guess what I'm saying here is even in a non pandemic year. So in all previous years, when it was, you know, say air quotes, business as usual, we'd bring in uh, say last year, we'd bring in 200 plus kids. Those 200 plus kids are grouped by age first, and then to a degree uh, proficiency, but they are divided into groups of 10. So we'd end up with, you know, 17 to 20 groups of kids last year, all meeting at tourist park in that big uh, open field. And everybody takes off into the trails with their group of coaches and has their own experience. So being that we set it up that way, again, it was fortuitous and lucky, I guess. We didn't have to change a ton this year because we we were already set up that way with groups of 10. What we did do is we shrunk our groups. So a lot of groups were running six to eight kids this year. Uh, we actually ended up having an additional coach. So a lot of groups had three coaches instead of two, which was a, a big plus for the coaches. Still kept us underneath the 10 as far as a cap. And then we reduced the total number of kids that we worked with this year just because of the, you know, all of the concern with, with the spread of COVID. But we still worked with over 200 kids i don't know exactly what the number was but we worked with a ton of kids in spite of this pandemic and really it went exceptionally well i mean there were a lot of protocols in place as far as you know the mask use and um, we had a lot of good feedback from medical professionals that they thought we said what we were going to do and then we did what we said we were going to do and we did it the way we said we were going to do it which is important Mm Mm-hmm. But yeah, I guess, you know, the, for people who aren't familiar with Adventure Bike Club, the, the whole premise is experience and community building at the youth level. So there's no competition except personal competition. Kids show up, they compete against themselves, they compete against what they did last week. You know, they'll go out. Some of them can climb a hill, some of them can't. There's no pressure. Uh, some of them can ride a feature, some of them can't. Again, there's no pressure. We actually allow the, you know, the, the kids themselves to kind of self-manage. And when the adults, when the adults are just there basically as guides and to provide an experience and to change up, you know, the trails they ride and to provide mentorship and to address, you know, behavioral issues, which by the way, I mean, we're working with kids. There's always going to be some behavioral hiccups, right? I mean, oh, yeah. anybody who would come in and coach with us and, and expect that they're going to be angels, you're going to be sorely disappointed. That's kind of the point to this whole thing is to uh, allow for the opportunities for teachable moments. But the kids really do just a phenomenal job when you pull back the pressure and you let them kind of gel as a, as a little micro community, attend kids. It's incredible to see how supportive they become of one another. You know, and it, you got the kids who, yeah, they can ride all the features and ride all the hills and, and they kind of help set the bar for all the other kids. And then the other kids, because we're not yelling at them like a football coach or a, you know, a baseball coach, the other kids just naturally aspire to wanting to also be one of the kids that can climb the hill or ride the feature. It's really kind of ironic how simple it is. You know, I think that as adults, we overcomplicate things. Like I've had people call me and ask for our curriculum in air quotes. I mean, the moment you try to apply curriculum to adventure, you've lost the adventure. The adventure's gone. Yeah, you know what I mean. There is no freaking curriculum. There is uh, there's structure. There are paradigm. There um, there are ways that we allow the kids to interact with each other. There are ways that we ask the coaches to interact with the kids. There's again, you know, consistent from the events where we talked about we're honoring every finish well in the youth programs it's no surprise then that we are also honoring every child at adventure bike club regardless of ability you know it, it's not like on a on a competitive team where whether we like it or not the more talented kids get more preference they just do i've been on a i've been on a team like i i know this is reality this is the way it works so they get more preference they get more attention um, there's none of that. It's there's, there's, there's just none of it. It does not exist at adventure bike club. And it really allows for a more authentic and, uh, organic community to form with amongst the kids. And it does when you model it with the right adult behavior, shockingly, you get the reciprocal positive behavior from kids. Yeah. So I think that every community should have an adventure team regardless of whether they have single track or not because down in delta county i know they're building trail now they've actually they've started down at the rapid the river uh the days river complex josh we've been running venture bike club down there on on the ski trails this will be our third year they've never ridden single track yeah all right it still sells out so you don't have to have i'm saying this at the at the, at the level of youth and children and granted, as you move up maybe toward teenagers, then yes, the need for single track, it increases because the older kids want to be challenged more. But you put a five-year-old in the woods on a ski trail, that's adventure for a five-year-old. Oh, for sure. I mean, there's just, it's it's that, again, we overcomplicate things as adults. I think that it's very simplistic or most purest form. You put a kid in the woods, that's adventure. It doesn't matter what the trail is, if it's a road, it doesn't matter.
2: Yeah, you are 100% spot on there. One of the one of the themes you've had this summer, with especially with your event, the Crusher, the one event that really happened this year for you guys, it, it appeared that you're really trying to incorporate some of the kids that are that are in your program and encouraging them to do the uh, shorter version of the Crusher at least. How did that go, and and what did you see as positive results out of that?
0: It, I mean, it's nothing short of amazing. And I've said this to other people, you know. I was just this morning because it's my my son turns ten. Cable turns ten this morning, and uh, we were sitting down. He's watching cartoons, and I was looking back at our pictures from when we did Crusher together. You know, so he's nine years old. Back in August, he decided he wanted to do Crusher. He didn't train for it. I mean, he's nine. You know, yeah, um, yeah. He's doing intervals. Right. No, I mean, like he's, you know, he's, he's doing kid stuff and then all of a sudden he wants to do crusher. And I'm sure that this story is going to be very similar from other parents who had this, the same experience. Um, so he wanted to do it. And I mean, my first response was, okay, like I got it. You know, I, I mean, I'm not telling him this is, is I'm saying, okay, let's do it. I am processing in the back of my adult brain, like, Oh shit. Can he do this? <laughs> you know, how is this, how is this going to go? But to see what these kids did to see nine year olds i think nine was the youngest that we had finished the the 40 which you know if you if you don't know 906 adventure team events it's never the distance is never what we say it is and it's never less than so you know the math on the crusher 40 is it was actually 52 or i think my garmin ended up at 54 that's with the wheel sensor yeah to see these kids do it josh blows me away and I think that it would be a far more common occurrence. I think you'd see more of it. It would be less of a novelty if we can just keep sharing the stories of these kids doing this stuff, because when kids do this with their parents, it shows it's possible. And like it or not, most people, they, before they can go do something, they need a path to follow. They needed at least something to model after as having proven out that yes, this is potentially possible. Somebody else has done this because, and I say that this is true because as we shared the uh, photos of cable finishing, Clayton Evans finishing some of the other younger girls from 906 finishing, and then just, it started to create this snowball where it wasn't just 906 kids finishing. We had people coming up from Traverse City. We had people coming up from Wisconsin with their kids to do the, the short crusher. And I honestly, I think I, I, I don't have hard results on this. I think the DNF rate amongst young kids who came up to, to do the 40 is, is better than the adult DNF rate. <laughs> it's, it's just crazy. Yeah, uh, but I think it's just phenomenal to to think that these kids are doing this. I think a lot of adults would be like, they they would just like they wouldn't even try, they wouldn't even attempt a forty, you know, fifty two mile ride with a nine year old because it doesn't seem like something you would do. You know what I mean? I do. Um, I I remember last year at the Orte Shore. So Cable and I last year did the Ordishore. It was the, he he did the twenty eight that was his first swing at a you know a big event so we started way 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 off the back i, I mean i was back at you know if there's 1200 people that lined up we were number 1199 and 1200 like way back past the school and we let that we let it roll out and then he and i you know the plan was because of how many people there are that order shore gets nuts like we're going to methodically work our way up through the masses, you know? And, and then once we get into a flow into the trail, then we'll see how it all works out. Most of the time during that ride, I let him ride in front of me. So I'd be kind of off his back wheel, just keeping an eye on him. And it was, it, it was so damn funny as this little, and he was eight now at this time. So as we get into the trails, this little eight-year-old like finds his groove. And he'd come up on adults, lots of adults. All right. And all of a sudden you'd hear this little mouse voice
3: on your left.
0: And so then the adults would move over and they'd see this kid go by. He weighs all of like 45 pounds. (laughs) He'd be out of the saddle going by him after he said on your left. And as he's riding by him, he's like having a conversation like, hey, good job. Have a good ride. And he keeps on going. But to sit as the dad back behind that and watch it happen, to see the the double takes in the, the face of the adults when they see this 50-pound eight-year-old go by him. I mean, a few of them are like, they look at, they double take and be like, how old are you? And he'd be like, eight. Oh, my God. <laughs> but we, you know, we need, God, if we could just get more of that. For sure. We need yeah, more You guys are doing it. Yeah, we, we just, we really need, we need more of that.
2: Yeah, so you've gone into the, your reach, you know, With you guys are in three counties, which is amazing, especially considering they're not, you know, geographically that's probably what, a two hundred mile radius or more?
0: Yeah. 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 I mean it takes us it takes two and a half, three hours just to get over to Ironwood.
2: That's a that's a pretty big deal. So that's yeah. that's amazing that you guys have been able to make that kind of commitment up there. You, you know, it's the, tough to get people to go forty five minutes out of their way to go do something. <laughs> yeah.
0: Uh I don't know if you're aware of this or not, but our program has also been modeled in Eau Claire. Okay. By Nate Lilly mm-hmm. with uh is it Eau Claire Youth Composite? That was their Nika team. They have an adventure team. Nate came up, this is probably a year and a half ago now. Nate came up and spent a couple of days actually at our adventure bike club mirrored me saw how we set it up saw how we run it you know we gave them all of our assets as far as our coach manuals you know all of our operational schemes that stuff and then uh they have successfully modeled it down in eau claire like it's it's doing the same thing down there where they open up the registration it immediately sells out they have to cap it so it's working in eau claire and then uh there's a group this summer Right amidst the pandemic down in Lansing, um, Capital Youth Cycling, CYC, um, they did the same thing. They modeled after the 906 model, uh, emphasizing adventure, a lot of the same methods that we use up here, and tremendously successful. Uh, and will will probably do nothing but continue to grow. So, really, there's aside from just us, there's probably in total five programs right now modeling the, this adventure theme.
2: You know, this year, especially that's something that some people had to do. They didn't have the choice with, you know, as you guys participate in the Wisconsin NICA league yep, and know that there hasn't been events. I know our local NICA team has basically been doing, you know, a loosely formed version of what you guys do. They don't have, they have kind of informal practices, you know, less smaller groups, but they're still doing it every week, Yeah, you know, and they're still moving. Yeah. So that's awesome. Yep. So, you know, I think your events have been talked about a lot over other other things, but we'll just quick do a super brief recap of what you have. You started out with the polar roll and then you guys did Margie Gessick and then the crusher, as far as the
1: order of how they were created, I believe.
2: Correct. So polar roll, some people, uh, some people love that and some people are super afraid of it. (laughs)
0: yeah there's really (laughs) nothing to be afraid though i mean i think they're afraid of the weather yeah the conditions absolutely but i mean you're never really that far from town so i mean come on like if it's like 2019 if it's as terrible as it was that year you know you go through six miles of misery you get out to business 28 you hang a left and you go back downtown to the cog and have a beer
3: yeah yeah
0: yeah, there's no way around it. I mean, when you're dealing with uh, any winter event, right? It's just the weather's going to be a huge wild card. And then if you try to hold the event on groomed single track in Marquette, where the base is, you know, three feet deep, it's not like a lot of places where the base, it's almost like you're you're riding on snow, but you're also on dirt. Yep. You know, you don't, you don't have three feet of snow underneath you. It's just a different deal up here. Uh, and it's going to be incredibly sensitive to what's happening with the weather. I mean, we've had 2019 with the, the blizzard, and I think in two two weeks we got like hundreds of inches of snow, which is impossible if you're a groomer. You know, I'm not a groomer, but from talking to the groomers who are, who are out doing it, I did help actually groom for that polar roll just to try to help get us there. But there was no way to groom it. There was just no way to get it to set up because it was snow every day. Uh, We've had rain in 16. We had rain in 40 degrees. It was actually funny because I think that was the year that the funny story was that the weather at Polar Roll was warmer than the weather at Margie. It was just like completely, we've always, you know, all the events seem to always have weather as a storyline, which I fully, which, which I fully support. Like weather is fantastic because it adds drama to the story. So I welcome bad weather.
2: Moving on to the Margie. We've talked about this briefly, but I think that one of the toughest things about the Margie isn't the actual Margie, but the ease of quitting. Yep. Yep. It is so, and you guys, and I don't I don't necessarily know if Danny did this on purpose. We talked about this in Danny's interview a little bit, but you actually run people right past the finish line mm-hmm. about 10 or so miles or 15 miles before you actually finish. and you, And that is at a point when you are, I don't care what, Marge, you're doing whether it's the fifty or the hundred. Yeah. You're in pain.
0: Oh yeah, absolutely. If you got that far, you you are hurting.
2: <laughs> I yeah, I
0: don't know if that was necessarily on purpose. I mean, there's a lot of things that you know it, it worked out the way it did. And it's it's not like everything was intentional. Yeah. Um, but yeah, having the route come back by the finish line, I mean, it's fantastic. What, yeah. a, what an opportunity to heckle people in pain.
2: I remember the the first year I did it as the 50, I looked down at my GPS and I see the little flag going, oh, that's that's the finish line. And I'm not finished. So it was really apparent then just by looking at the GPS that you guys ran that by. And it was it was it was awesome. <laughs> I mean, it was it, it was fitting that you
0: nailed it. That event is too easy to quit. You're always around a town like at any moment you can roll off the course and be done easily. And that I think is the big difference between Margie and Crusher because Crusher, you can't say the same thing. It's not easy to quit Crusher. Yeah. It's just not like once you you're no in the Crusher, you're in it. No, there's somewhere I mean, where, I mean, where the hell are you going to go? There's nothing we ran, especially this year, you saw one town, but you had to ride 140 miles to see it. Mm-hmm. And a lot of people who did finally get there, the town was closed because it was after midnight.
2: Yeah, that came up in discussion when Eric and I were talking about it, was they wanted to get there just in time so they could get some pizza.
0: Right, yeah, when we ran the, uh, I shared this, I think in a in a post way back in May, when we got to Lance, I think it was one in the morning, 12.45 when we did the recon ride. So the first time that we went and did the whole route was mid-May. When we rolled into Lance Eddie and I got there first, and then Tori, rolled in a bit after and we were waiting for him in the parking lot by subway Mm -hmm. and when he rolled in i've never seen a human more demoralized in that than he was in that moment when he realized subway was closed (laughs) because he rolled up subway here (laughs) yeah he rolled up and you know he stopped and he kind of put his forearms on his handlebars and he just looked over and he's like All I wanted was a sub, and he just said it so (laughs) sad. Like I wanted to actually break in and make him a sub. That's 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 how much emotion there was in the desire for that subway sub.
2: Yeah. So we're you know now we're talking about the crusher.
1: Let's move on. Let's well first let's talk about your fist quick.
2: So there's there's the ultimate crusher of doing all four events. Just quick quick recap those and just to kind of give some people what that actually how much work you have to do to get uh, silver fist crushing something.
0: Well, first of all, that fist was an award that Gordon and I talked about last year. So we actually did the we did the original mock-up of that award over a year ago. And then decided to wait on it. So, you know, we did it, we did the work, we talked about it, we had the prototype, and then we put it away and figured, well, we'll see when the opportunity comes to pull this thing out of the closet. Little did I I know that little did I know that we were you know, a year away from a pandemic. And, and so the way that this stuff works um, is through chatter, somebody in social media, I don't remember who, you know, suggested doing all four events. So the all four events are the EX-225, which is actually 250, um, that's on a bike, the EX-100 on a bike, which is 112, the EX-40 on a bike, which is actually 52, and then to top it off, you need to go out and do the ultra run of 50. So, you know, there's four huge events. And I mean, the thought was, okay, haha, ha, who's going to do this? <laughs> you know, who's going to be the first dummy to try? And I think, I think before you started recording, we were talking about it earlier. There's 24 people yeah. that are qualified for the fifth. So it just, it was a totally organic opportunity and and a lot of times this stuff does come up and happens this way with our events because we are listening to what racers throw out Mm -hmm. and we are always up for a terrible idea and this sounded Mm -hmm. like a terrible idea like who would go do these four events and it ended up being just a wonderful distraction so gordon i've talked to him a couple times he is currently working on you know producing 24 of these magnificent um, hand forged iron fists that will be uh, shipped out to the, to the people who've earned them.
2: Yeah. That's amazing. I think you really kicked off your dumber ideas last year when you said, Oh, who's going to do, or it was actually 20 fall of 2018 when you said, Oh, who's going to do Margie as an out and back. Yeah. And then you had a huge response. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah. We got it. We actually had to take applications on that one. And how many did we let do it? 30, I think.
2: Yeah, thirty or forty. I think it was more than you initially anticipated.
0: Yeah, it was. I mean, we probably could have let fifty to hundred do it if I had just, you know, said, "Okay, everybody, go do it." But yeah, you know, that event is great. That that out and back, the from a uh, logistics standpoint, for signing it, that's a nightmare. And that's yep. honestly why we said, "All right, this is, we're we we can not do this every year. It's yep. not that's not sustainable." So every five years,
2: <laughs> we got four more years to go. Yeah. So one of the big things with this podcast is trails and what trails mean to your community. Um, what do trails mean to your community and specifically, and, and you are actually kind of in three communities. We'll talk about all of Marquette County in your situation, and maybe even a couple of the other counties that you, that you, uh, reside in as far as your program. But you know, what, what do trails mean to your community, not just for your program, but for the whole entire community?
0: well i think marquette is definitely taken on a reputation as being a trail community and i think i think to a degree the the up is probably moving in that direction frankly because mm-hmm. you know you have copper harbor yep and then you have marquette and you have uh, Munising with the bike park and they're they're building of trail over there on valley spur i know ironwood has a huge project they're going to be kicking off i think next year that was oh, wow. Uh, funded in part by money from uh, DNR trust fund, and then down in Delta County, I know that DCNT trails. You know they've they've now started developing some single track and actually getting single track on the map around the Days River uh, pathway. So, I mean, if if I stand back and look at the impact that trails can have in the community, I guess I'll zoom back just to Marquette because I don't I'm not in the other communities as much. But I guess you could probably say this about Copper Harbor, too. There is no doubt that the trails are benefiting the community any number of ways, whether it's the businesses in the community because of the money that it brings into the community. I think that it helps attract people to our area and makes this area a good place to live, particularly if you have kids. You know, I think it's very inviting and that's critical for UP communities because, I mean, I, I was born up here and then I moved in and out of the UP a number of times for quite a few years. But one of the knocks on the Upper Peninsula has always been that as kids go through high school and then move on to college, they move away and they don't come back. Yep. You know, because the opportunities for jobs and stuff are limited. That seems to be changing a bit you know, because remote work, working from home is becoming more accessible and now these resources are, you know, are available to families and to to people who don't have kids. And so now we're, we're getting more talented young people coming back, I guess, you know, that's also obviously a benefit to the communities up here. I think that's
2: huge actually. For sure. And that's, I think, and especially when you touch on remote work, that was forced on people nine months ago now, you know, and so that just accelerated that whole remote working thing. Right. So we've talked a lot about, about all the awesome stuff. What kind of setbacks have you had with your program? And we got to keep this real. Not everything is easy. Right. And that's the whole point of this is doing hard things. So what have you had? What kind of setbacks have you had? And, And maybe however, if you have one particular setback that you could point to and talk about how you um worked your way through it with the program itself, or what?
0: So, I, I think first of all, obviously there have been obstacles, right, from day one to today. To say that there weren't obstacles, yes, there were. The way I've answered this in the past, I do. Ha- I have one example, and I'll get to it, but and it's actually a current, uh, current obstacle that we need to work through. But just you know, going back to the beginning for a minute, I I think a lot of times people get hung up on an obstacle and they sit and they stare at the obstacle or the problem. And it turns into a narrative about the problem. I struggle a lot of times when people ask me about the obstacles along the way, because I've never spent much time staring at the obstacle Mm -hmm. because I am immediately looking for a way over it or around it. And I move on. You know, I, so my approach to everything, whether it's 906 or my personal life or whatever other, you know, endeavor I end up pursuing, I anticipate it's not going to be easy. Like that's just ingrained in me. And I don't spend any um, emotional capital uh, feeling bad for myself or, you know, wasting anybody's time complaining about it. It's just like, okay, here, here's, here's an obstacle, how are we going to get around it. How do we address it? And you move on. Now, the one, you know, the one struggle I think that we've had for 906 specifically is growth. Our growth has been phenomenal. You know, and and really when you look at we so we started in 2014. Okay, so if you look at 14, 15, 16, 17, 18, 19, 20, all right, that's seven years. But really the explosive growth that we've had began in 17. So really we've become what we are right now in 17, 18, 19, 20, four years. Uh, So we are a young organization. We have a ton of moving parts. We run three very large events, two of which I'd say are either at a national level of attention, well, Margie is. and And I think Crusher is going to get there. And I think this year went a long ways toward helping push that event's notoriety forward. Um, I'd say Polar Roll is more of a regional. You know, it's, we have been recognized in some national uh, magazines, but if there's a pecking order, I'd say Margie, best known, Crusher, and then Polar Roll. But to run those events is a, is a ton of uh, work, a ton of volunteers. We have youth programs. And now with the youth programs, you're running them in three communities. And you're working with, I think our number this year was 150 coaches. So the big success point for our youth program is consistency in operation. You know, I want you to be able to come as a coach, Josh, and and work in Marquette with our program in Marquette. And then I want you to be able to drive to Escanaba and do the same thing in Escanaba because everything is exactly the same. So that you can coach anywhere and it's run exactly the same way. Well, in order for you to have that be your reality and your end result, there's a lot of training and time that takes place. So, you know, we're training 150 coaches, we're communicating, you know, long story short, we are literally dealing with communication and coordination within a community. I used to say hundreds of people, I'd say almost now we're probably getting closer to where it's starting to move into a thousand. Yeah. On, a, on an annual rolling basis. And there's only me and Tara who are employed by the nonprofit to make it happen. So two people stretched incredibly thin, as you noted, across a 200-mile radius. And also, if, if you don't know it, we have incredibly high standards for operation as far as how we do things, how we present ourselves, how we represent our communities and our, and our brand. And that, you know, that takes time too. That takes training. That takes, I mean, you could definitely do things by the seat of your pants and, and use up less time. But, you know, in the long run, that's going to get you. Yeah. So I think growth is our, you know, that's if you want an obstacle, it's, it's growth. And then it's, you know, our events have been well known to give back to community trails. I think the number right now is from day one, we've, We've given them back $130,000. It's highly unusual for a nonprofit to give away that much money to, well, I guess just to give away that much money. And in the early days, it was easier with um, the fact that we never kept any money for 906. We, you know, we'd run the events, whatever was left, we gave it away to the trails. But now, is we also need to have some. Uh, revenue to sustain not only our youth program, but also Delta and Gogebic. Yeah. Now you're looking at, okay, so how do we kind of rebalance this thing so that we are in a position to be viable going forward? So that is that is our current challenge. And that is a challenge because you know we've always tried to give back a lot Our community trails, and at the same time, if we run over to uh, Delta County, or let's say we ran over to Iron Mountain next spring, yeah, and let's say we're going to put in a youth program there, and they're going to run exactly the way we run, and we're going to give them all the same equipment that we use because all the equipment we use in Marquette, it's all sort of specked out. You know, we don't have a hodgepodge of, you know, inconsistent equipment. Even the equipment we use here is used in all the other programs, so. You got to go buy the equipment for air Mountain. You're probably looking at fifteen dollars to $20,000 out of pocket just to get that thing going. Yep. So that's our big challenge. And then I think, you know, on the trail side, am not trying to speak for the trails here, but, you know, I think that the challenge on the trail side is that, that we're, and we're a component of this. How do you, how do you maintain the trails? How do you keep pace with the traffic? that's on the trails, right? Yeah. Especially this year. Yeah. Especially this year. I mean, there's no doubt. I've seen more people out in the woods in places I've never seen people before. Yep. It's ridiculous, actually. I mean, it's good, but it's definitely prompted some new challenges for sure. Oh yeah. I'm sure you guys are seeing it down there too.
2: Oh yeah. It's, it's crazy. we're seeing, you know, I didn't, I don't think anybody expected to see the parking lots overflowing. It obviously made sense when you thought about it because what else do people have to do when everything is closed? Yeah. Right? Yeah. We have two pump tracks here in lacrosse, a paved one and a, a dirt one. And that dirt one has been, you can go up there probably at 10 o'clock this morning and you're going to see a, a full parking lot, uh-huh. you know, and that's a Monday morning Yep. when kids are supposed to be in school. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> right. Uh, <laughs> yep. And so that's, and that's, people had to do something with their kids and they started getting them outside. I know it really hit home to me when I saw people on trails without helmets, smoking cigarettes yeah, on, on department store bikes. I was like, now we're hitting a new level. Yes. You know, and it was, but it's all good. It's getting people outside, you know? Yeah. And it, and it really highlights the community importance of having these, these, this outdoor infrastructure. Absolutely. Yeah.
1: Let's quick uh, move forward into what
2: your future is. I know we were talking a little bit ahead of, uh, early on about your um, your next event for yourself and I don't know if you have anybody coming with you, but you got a pretty big goal that you're gonna kick off this week. You know I want to quick recap that and or how that's gonna look. And by the time this comes out, you'll have finished it.
0: Yeah, we're leaving uh, from the Keweenaw missile pad right at the tip of the Keweenaw Peninsula on Saturday. Yeah it's myself, Mark Salm and Chuck Boyer. I don't know if we're the Three Musketeers or the Three Stooges. <laughs> the jury's still out on that. But we have uh, essentially created a route that traverses or circumnavigates the Upper Peninsula uh, following the outer edge of the Upper Peninsula from the Keweenaw down going west over to Ironwood, and then we shoot back east kind of through Middle Earth. Central Upper Peninsula, you know, over by Watersmeet, Crystal Falls, Iron River, eventually shooting over to Gwyn and then all the way east to the tail uh, over by the Sioux. And then we work our way back to Marquette and we will ultimately end kind of in Crusher territory up at the mouth of the Huron River um, where it meets Lake Superior. And we'll be looking back across the lake at the tip of the Keweenaw Peninsula where we started in theory, 10 days earlier, the plan our plan is to do it in 10 days. Nice. You know, is that realistic? I don't know. I think it's going to be a push to get her done in 10 days because we haven't, obviously we haven't reconned this route. I'm sure we're going to run into issues, you know,
2: because reconning Uh, that would be
0: so easy, right? Yeah. Right. Yeah. Recon a 1200 mile route. But uh, and you're talking
2: so for surfaces, you're talking crusher style, enhanced gravel, mix I'd of bad pavement, because obviously not everything is linkable. On I would dirt. say that it would be
0: more in line with the crusher experience from last year. Yep. So, yes, the goal was to keep it off of pavement. I think that 15% or less of the route is paved. So, we're on dirt for the majority of it um, gravel road, dirt road, two track you know, force road, whatever connectors we could use to mm-hmm. get us through a uh, very little single track, just simply because we're trying to, you know, my, my hope would be that this becomes a bike packing route yep. that in time we can deconstruct into segments. Yeah. And then it could be something you could come up and do, you know, I don't know, in, in 10 segments or whatever, you know, we gotta, we gotta work that out. But yeah, that's, that's the plan.
2: Yeah, so you guys are going to be the pioneers for this thing, and that's what it takes to get a, a bike packing route going.
0: Yeah, um, and, you know, I think the timing, you know, the timing of doing it is kind of intentional in that our, so this isn't, this Project Adventurous is, is what I'm calling it, and it, this is a personal endeavor, right? Mm-hmm. I'm not flying this under 906, and I'm not flying it under 906 because, frankly, as I just mentioned earlier, we're talking about, how overloaded we are, you know, on the 906 side. I can't, just, we can't take another thing on underneath the umbrella right now. But this whole year for us has been about adaptation. Like if you think about us as a nonprofit, okay, we, our basically, if you were to look at this as a business, our business model relies on people gathering. Whether it's adventure bike club, um, after school programs, events all of it requires people gather well what's the one thing that you couldn't do this year you can't gather so we got lucky polar roll got done before shit got weird right and it was and that was a great race too i mean we had a great year this year for polar roll
2: probably one of the best years for conditions right yeah i i would
0: definitely say it's up there top three for sure so we got past polar roll but then you know march comes and things go sideways the adaptation for crusher uh has exceeded my expectations everybody who told me that was a dumb idea it'll never work <laughs> what do you think of us now
2: Dumb ideas
0: and and you know what i think i think it's taught me a lot i think it's shown me that there is definitely a group of people out there who would welcome an opportunity like what we did with the ex not just this year but on an ongoing basis Mm -hmm. Okay. So we, we were able to adapt that it was successful. The, uh, the number of people that we were able to give a goal to, and it it was something that really kind of kept them focused and distracted from some of the other less productive stuff that they could have spent their time doing this year. Um, it was a huge positive. It was uh, a little bit of like the summer of pressure, a beacon of light. We still pulled off adventure bike club. And that was a huge thing for those those kids and those families, I mean, even the coaches, you know, a lot of the coaches said, thanks for doing this. I needed this. Like they, they just needed human interaction. Uh, so now Margie, unfortunately we had to push the next year. Uh, and that one is, I mean, there's a variety of reasons, but the big, the big problem, the couple of big problems with that one is it uses a couple different chunks of state land and the state wasn't issuing permits. I don't, I don't think they are right now either because they've rolled back to stage four with the COVID response. So we weren't going to get a permit, which means, I guess, if you don't have a permit to use a state land, then you got to stay off of it. You got to find a way around it, right? Well, now, if you start completely revamping and changing your course, now it's not Margie. Nope. And I mean, the whole thing about Margie and what makes Margie Margie is the people. And, and, and the course and the, the support that you have and the heckling and just the people, well, without the people, Margie isn't Margie. So it can't happen. Well, that revenue gets pushed to next year and becomes unavailable because we've got to run the event next year on the, on the revenue we brought in this year. So, you know, that's, I mean, it's been a huge struggle for us that we've been able to navigate effectively. But now, so we're sitting after crusher, and it's like, well, what's next? And that's why I decided to do Project Adventurous now, because we still need, like, we don't know right now how long we're going to be in this whole COVID reality. Mm -hmm. In the UP, the numbers are worse today than they've been all year. Yeah, same with where we're where we're at. Yeah, there's more anxiety up here about it today than there was in the past. So, you know, Adventurous is really just, I guess, my way of saying you still got to move forward like we can't sit and live in fear you still need to have something that you're working toward even amidst this very unique time in in the world and i you know if it if it inspires a couple of people to keep track and to see how we're doing and to find their own adventurous goal in their you know in their life and to to work toward then it's worth it
2: so speaking of keeping track, is are you going to have spot trackers or is there is there a way that people will actually be able to keep track cuz I I know I track crazy people yeah. like you and crush your people and Chuck and
0: I Chuck and I will have trackers. I can follow up with you on this on the answer. Matt Lee was actually messaging me last night from Track Leaders. Yeah, and he was going to talk to Scott also from Track Leaders about uh, creating a map. So I sent him the GPX Yep. And I've kind of bounced back and forth about putting it out public access. And the only reason I say that is because, you know, if we have a 10 day window, we're trying to hit. Like, I'm not going to tell somebody to, to not come ride with us, but we also have, you know, we have to stick to our plan. And I'm just trying to make sure we don't end up in a scenario where uh, we get knocked off track.
2: Well, it's an untested course too. I mean, people aside, you could, there's just stuff you're not going to know about until you get looking at until you're looking at it.
0: Yeah. So we're, we're just trying to keep our variables, you know, we're trying to control what we can, but I also know that the tracking people love that tracking. Yeah. They, they, you know, and that, that is really what hooks people and helps prompt them to start thinking, man, this is cool. What can I do? And it doesn't have to be a 1200 mile bike ride around anywhere, you know, 40 miles. Yeah. It could be 12 miles. Yep. You know, let's say, you you know, you're the, you're the person that you're at home and you're not really doing anything right now. And you just, you know, you need that catalyst, something that, that gives you this idea. Maybe this is it. Maybe your first goal is just to go ride 12 miles. Yeah. That's where, that's where everybody starts. That's where I started. Yep. And I biked that was too small. On a bike that was too small and my (laughs) ass was killing me the next morning. (laughs) (laughs) That's awesome. So yeah, that's uh, that's the deal, man.
2: Yeah. That's uh, as always, it's been great. I think we can wrap this up. Um, Yes, sir. You've definitely provided a lot of insight and I don't want to take any more of your time. And I know you got a lot of stuff to get ready and you probably have a child that's looking at some, at some virtual learning that may need some help too. So,
1: Well,
0: it's his birthday, so I need to go tend to- Well, that's that's definitely important. We got to open some birthday uh, presents. And he doesn't know this. I got to say this low. He's getting a new bike today, full suspension.
3: Yeah?
0: Yeah. So we need to go for a bike ride. We might, I don't know, we might skip school.
2: Oh, gym class. (laughs) It's it's a long gym class. (laughs) Right. It's
0: an eight-hour gym class. Yeah. Hey, Josh, thanks for having me on. It's good to see you too. It's good just to see you and talk to you.
2: Yeah, thank you, Todd. We're we're definitely gonna be back up for your future events and yeah, working on getting more people from the from our area up to your area for for some adventure and some pain and suffering.
0: Hey, I'm gonna throw a challenge at you.
2: Okay, you ready? Yep.
0: Lacrosse needs an adventure team. Yep. So let's find somebody and let's
2: do it. Okay. Yeah. If it's it. in Eau Claire, we got to do it because we got to be better than Eau Claire.
0: <laughs> yeah. <laughs>
2: I like it competition. Well, anyway,
0: if you want to, we will help in whatever way we can, Yeah, you know, we'll provide all of the the stuff we've done and show you how we do it. Uh, yeah. would love to, would love to help
2: you get going. Well, you've got the Nike team and I think that's obviously yep. a, a good, a good, uh, catalyst, you yep, know, to keep going, sure. especially this year with really, it is an adventure team this year because there's not events. Right. You know? So, and I know they've still been going strong and, and so we'll have to, uh, Well, keep it going, man.
0: Fight the good fight. Thank you, Todd. All right. You guys have a great day. I'm going to run.
1: Sounds good. Have a good day. Bye-bye. Bye. -bye. Bye. Thank you for listening. If you like what you've heard, please take the time to share these shows with others. Sharing these shows will help create awareness of both the guests who've taken the time to be on the show and the podcast series itself. Also, if you're new to the Trail Effect podcast, check out our ever-expanding library of episodes. If you listen to the Trail Effect podcast on Apple or Spotify, please don't forget to leave a rating and review as this is one of the best ways to show our support for the trail effect podcast. Also don't forget to check out Cooley creative at www.dujustsendit.com. For additional ways to help support the trail effect podcast, check out the affiliate links tab at the trail effect website, where you'll find links to cattle mountain apparel, worldwide cyclery and trail one components by using the affiliate links found at www.trailfectpodcast.com, A small commission will come back to the podcast, which will help keep this thing going. This podcast has been edited and produced by Evolution Trail Services. Thank you again for listening.